Welcome to the Vying for Victory podcast, where we believe God heals people in a way that brings Him the most glory and brings us closest to Him. Whether you've received healing, you're in the fight of your life, or you gave up on God a long time ago, you are welcome here. As you come to the table, listen with an open mind, knowing everyone's journey is unique, but pain is our common language. Let's vie for victory, friends. Welcome to the Vying for Victory podcast. I am Tara Bottom Deny, your host. And today on the show, we have someone who's very special to me, Matt Hedges, who was one of my youth pastors in high school. And he is sharing both his and his wife's story. So his wife, Christina, has gone home to be with the Lord in ultimate healing. But this story is as much his as it is hers and how they work together through a terminal illness and what it's like on both sides. So this is not one that you're going to want to miss. Grab a seat. Perhaps grab some tissues and listen up to this wisdom and just incredible testimony for the Lord. Here is Matt Hedges. And you know what I even noticed is that people in the, just in the stories when half the people are wearing masks, we are made to read people's emotions and their facial expressions. And I have no idea if someone's joking at the grocery checkout, you know, and because I can't see half their face. Yeah, it's really weird. You can't tell by eyes a lot. Yeah, it's very strange. Yeah, well, so we talked about a few of the things you're doing. I know you got a lot going on, but just today we have Matt Hedges, who was my youth pastor in high school. So, gosh, have we known each other 10 years, over 10 years? Is that right? I think, yeah, I think it's like 12 is what I was thinking back on. Oh, my goodness. That's insane. So he and his wife, Christina, had just huge impacts on, on my life, and they're just incredible people. And so Matt's on today. He's going to share their story a bit and, and part of Christina's story who struggled for many, many years um, with just physical illness and lots of things um, and, until eventually um, about three years ago, she, she did go home to be with the Lord. And so we talk about all kinds of physical pain here, but also all kinds of healing here as well. And ultimate healing is an incredible one to talk about. So Matt's going to just drop some bombs. I'm sure that's what he does in his style. But just to start us off, Matt, would you just share just a brief uh, little summary of Christina's story for those who didn't know her? Absolutely. And and thanks for this, Tara. It's it, it's kind of funny. You, you know, you, you have no idea what kind of an impact you had on on me or Christina. Um, and it's awesome to be able to get to do this, to see what you're doing and to be a part of it is, is pretty amazing. So yeah. Christina was uh, an incredible person, an hour long podcast. It's hard to tell the entire story of who she is, who she was. And her, the cool thing about her and about all of our stories is a life lived in, in God's presence and live through him is is a legacy and her legacy continues and that's a really cool thing so i'm very honored that i get to share her story a little bit when she was 11 years old she was on a mission trip in new orleans with her church and she ended up in the emergency room because she was incredibly dehydrated and very sick and what they found out was that in, while she um, was there, they think in New Orleans that she contracted some kind of virus and it just wiped out her pancreas, killed it immediately. Hmm. And so her blood sugar went from what we normally would have, uh, 110 blood sugar was up almost a thousand. 
and wow. um, to the point where even as an 11 year old, she, they told her when she came in that she should have been dead. I mean, it was that high. God had other plans. Though. So from 11 years old, that began kind of a journey with diabetes. And so she got home, got to a doctor, things were going pretty well. And uh, she was doing you know, fine on the, the medicine and the treatment. Her blood sugar stayed pretty controlled. All the way uh, up until she graduated high school, she didn't have any problems really, um, just a normal life, except for checking her blood sugar and taking shots. And then um, we met in 1999 and got married in, uh, we met in 1998, excuse me, got married in 99. And then I was the youth pastor at a small church outside of Austin. And I just knew that I needed to finish my education. So we moved up to Dallas and I uh, started working at First Baptist Church Dallas and going to the Criswell College. And so our first year of marriage was normal. It was great, just like you would kind of draw it up. But then during our second year of marriage, while we were in Dallas, um, she started having complications uh, with her body just kind of rejecting the insulin uh, that she was taking and wasn't processing it correctly. And her blood sugars began to get really high, which led to a lot of high blood pressure and things like that. And those things began to take a toll on her body. So how, how, how far do you want me to go into our story right now? Yeah, we can just stop there and uh, just say, I mean, even some of this I didn't know, you know, I met y'all when y'all were well into your, into your story. And even, even one of the moms in our youth group ended up giving Christina her kidney, right? That's right. What, what I remember. But what was her actual diagnosis? It was this diabetes that led to ESRD, which I looked up and don't remember what it stands for, but kidney failure, right? Yeah, in-stage renal disease. Okay. Yeah, so what she finally ended up passing away, the diagnose, diagnosis was something that's kind of relevant to what we're going through right now. It, it was um, the pulmonary, basically the hardening of the lungs. She, she got pneumonia, but all of that comes from the diabetes that began at the beginning. So she had ESRD, which is the end-stage renal disease, which is kidney failure. She had some heart complications that came through it, and, and then eventually it affected her lungs, but it all went back to diabetes. Yeah. Well, and I had no idea that this started when she was 11 and on a mission trip, you know, you saw, knew her better than anyone. And did she ever regret or was she mad at God for like, how could I contract something like this on a mission trip? You know what? That was one thing about her. She never once, she never once expressed any anger toward God. Never. There were, we had a lot of conversations about why, you know, why, really we didn't I had these these questions it was kind of funny she never really she never really dealt with that I was more of the why does she have this why did it happen to her those kind of questions but she never she never saw it that way she always saw it as an opportunity because people we had an opportunity to speak into lives that we would have never been able to reach had she had not had to walk that path and that's how she saw her disease I wasn't able sometimes to separate her from her disease. And, and I, I didn't realize that until later on. She was able to do that. She never saw herself as somebody that was sick or somebody that had diabetes or somebody that was even terminal. She always saw it as this is something that I carry and it's something that is part of me, but it is not me. 
And that helped, I think, in the way that she viewed her life. Yeah, I, I struggle sometimes, actually, because on these podcasts, I put, you know, the name as whatever that physical condition is that someone went through. And I'm like, man, I hope people don't look at this and, and think I'm identifying someone by what they have. But I think it's just a, a way for, you know, oh, I, I deal with that, too, kind of thing. Sure. But well, I just... and you know, this, you know this, going through what you've gone through, if you're in a hospital setting, you are your disease. That's how you're looked at. That's how you're treated. That's how you're, you're diagnosed. That's how even you're placed in certain hospital areas is, is by your disease. So it's very easy for someone with a chronic illness or somebody that struggles with a, a chronic pain to see that as themselves. And when you do that, you lose your identity in Christ to some extent. I think it's, a very, it's one of my problems that I have with the medical community is treating people by what they, they, they're written down on their chart instead of seeing them as a person who, yeah, that's, they may have an illness, but they are something much greater than what that illness is. So just talking about the identifying ourselves with our physical condition, I think a lot of people do that with their spiritual sin or like, I mean, goodness gracious, we say, we call Thomas the doubter, right? And, you know, we just identify someone, Judas the betrayer, as their sin. Is it just something in us that we, we want to identify with something bad? I don't know if it's necessarily something bad. I just think we, we as humans hunger so much for an identity in ourselves, personally, who we are. We struggle with our identity in Christ. I, I think it's easy then to turn that outward and label other people. Um, it, 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 gives us a, it gives us a degree of separation maybe from really understanding who a person is or understanding who, ourselves, who we are ourselves when we can then throw a label on somebody. And, and it, I think it happens at a pastoral level. Um, I think sometimes we find it easier to sit down with someone and identify the sin in their life and try to help them overcome that, that sin, but we never get down to the root of who a person is and why their identity in Christ may be off. It happens in a clinical setting. Um, you walk into an emergency room, automatically a doctor is looking at you as a diagnosis and not a patient because what if some, he makes a mistake or he can't get emotionally involved? That gives a degree of separation. I, I kind of feel like that's a lot of the, maybe the, the weakness in how we view people, you know? Yeah. I was listening to a podcast a little bit ago though, and he made this really interesting comment that your soul is a village big and that we were made to live in these small villages, you know, really until the last couple hundred, hundred years, cars weren't invented. I mean, we didn't travel um, the way we do now. And now it's, you have the news. It's not just like, oh, I see a few people with COVID in my community. It's like I see what's going on in Ecuador and Italy and all of these things and talking about compassion fatigue. So how do we avoid this compassion fatigue when we're just being bombarded? I think part of it is is we want to separate ourselves from getting too involved. But part of it is just like I can't handle knowing everyone's stories. I mean, how do you do that as a pastor? You, I think the, the amazing thing, you know, how do you say this correctly? Um, as a pastor, you either allow God to open your eyes to who people are behind the facades that we see, and you you want to know their stories, you want to know their life, or you're very miserable in the ministry. There's no no two ways about it. So there have been times where, because of the amount of emotional toil that it took on me as we walk through Christina's life and being a caretaker is very emotionally exhausting. I had nothing left for people in my church. I was a pastor during all of these years and 
I would have nothing left. I know that that feeling of just being so empty that another story feels like the pebble that pushes the water over the edge of the, the rim of the cup. But when you operate in your gifting and you are constantly, as a pastor, seeking God's fulfillment and refreshment, then you're able to take on the emotional baggage, these, the stories, the things that you need to learn about people in order to truly help them walk through life. But if you're empty, there's no capacity for that. It, it, it's really a painful process. Yeah. And it took a long time for me to get to back to that point after I went through what we went through. Yeah. Well, and I, I think that's just, I'm going through a, I just started Christine Kane's 2020 Bible study and it's about how you can look at someone without seeing them. And Jesus saw people. And so I was talking about that this morning and just taking us through, well, yeah, Jesus did go alone. He, you know, even went on like a boat with the disciples. He prayed through the night. I mean, he did, he was interruptible and he did stop and he did have compassion on people, but he was so full of the Lord. And I think that's where we're messing. That's where I mess up for sure. Yeah. Well, that's where our ability to do anything that has didn't involve people comes from is the time that we're spending with them. There's no doubt. Yeah. Well, so let's go back to Christina's story and just talking about your wedding vows of for better, for worse. You just really experienced the for worse. And when you talk about your just being empty, what, what did that look like on some of just the worst days of maybe questioning God, maybe just her health? What did that look like? Um, there were, there was towards the, the last five years of her life, things really got hard. That's when my role switched from from husband, partner to more of caretaker. And there were many, many, many days where my, the only thing I could even pray in the mornings was God just help me to keep my head above the water and to do whatever it takes to help Christina today. And everything else beyond that was almost impossible to deal with. Life became really hard to deal with. It was literally that feeling of if you're in a wave pool, and the water's just above your head and you're trying to poke your head out and grab that breath. It was a lot of that. And now, unfortunately, I wasn't spending my time where I should have been spending it wisely with, with God in, in that refreshment. I did the exact opposite at times, which made it more difficult. I just tried to put a wall around Christina and I and, and shut the world out, which was the wrong way to go. Um, it left me more empty, but I think it was just a kind of a human autonomic response to what we were going through. And when I counsel people and talk with people today, that's the thing I tell them to do the exact opposite. Bring people into your life that can speak truth into your life. They can, in the middle of a, a day where you're stuck at the hospital, you know, we, to go back and give a little context, the, the third year before she passed away, we spent 127 days in the hospital. The second year before she passed away, it was 188 days in the hospital. The right year before, which was 2016, we spent 288 days in the hospital. And we had already been in the hospital 160-something days, I think, when she passed away on October 17th of 2017. So we were living there. I mean, it was that was our life. And there were a lot of times where people tried to reach out and wanted to come and sit and things like that. And I just... Uh, you know, I, I pushed that away. And, and that's a thing where God provides people and we need to take advantage of that because there is a refreshment that comes from good people coming in and just giving you a minute or um, bringing you a meal or something like that. So the hard days were, were incredibly tough. Um, 
very tough. And had I handled it differently, I think it would have been, it would have been much different yeah. for me. It's hard when you're in it though, you know? And I remember I, I texted you a few years ago, but I just had this connection and it brought, brought me back just now of, it's like your last name is Hedges and it's like you put a hedge around yourself but actually it's like God is the one who puts a hedge around you and he can filter that for you. Like very similarly, I um, have this word someone gave me once about just being a lion and things. And I believe I have to defend myself or people I love because no one else is going to. And then I was talking to my friend and she's like, well, the lion is obviously God, right? And I was like, oh, yeah, because he's the one who defends you or he's the one who protects you, right? Right. And when you feel that loss, when you feel like for the first time in my life, I felt it truly, truly felt like I was out of control. Hmm. Instead of pulling closer to God and, and allowing him and, and admitting that I was out of control and allowing him then, you know, to, to take the lead in everything, I did, I did the human thing of trying to take that control on myself. Of course, you don't see that. Like you say, you don't see it when you're in the middle of it, only through hindsight. But I think that's exactly right. I think that's the most human thing that we do sometimes in our relationships with God is we, we feel like, okay, if he's not there, then I'm going to pull, I'm going to pull everything around me um, and do it myself. And, and that makes everything so much harder. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and then I know you, you talked about, oh my goodness, how many days you spent in the hospital. And as you were saying that, I was just like racking up the bills in my mind. Like, what did this do financially to y'all? I know you had fundraisers and things, but then how did that put stress on your marriage? Can you talk about that? Yeah, there's two facets facets to that. The first is, again, it goes back to the control thing. Uh, you know, you can't imagine over 17 years of hospital bills. And, and Christina was in the hospital at least twice a year, every year from our second year of marriage on until, you know, we hit mm -hmm. the, the really hard times. but it would, it would blow your mind to know how much debt we racked up. And so just being completely honest, when we, when I, after she passed, I faced the whole thing of, should I file bankruptcy? Uh, because it was no way at that point. I mean, it was, it was literally, it was literally almost three quarters of a million dollars of total debt that has racked, that wow. has been racked up over the years. And so I had some people counseling. I went to good, good, Christian people that I trust, mentors of mine, had some counseling. You know, that's what bankruptcy is about. Um, that's what you need to do. And I, I struggled with that. I prayed through it. And I finally came to the conclusion that I was going to put a plan together, write every single one of the, the almost 40-something different creditors that, that, you know, we owed money to over the 17 years, try to settle, uh, in some cases, for a third of what we, we owed them and then put payment plans together. And so I began that process. And I'd say three quarters of them were more than happy to work with me. And then there were a handful that, that were not. And so we're still kind of dealing with them. But, but I decided that I was going to pay these debts down. That's going to take me years and years and years. And, but it is, and, and look, I'm not, I, I am by no means saying that my choice was because I felt like bankruptcy was wrong. It had nothing to do with that. It just, for me, seemed like the best, the, my, the way I went seemed like the best option. But there are a lot of people that face that and, and bankruptcy is right for them. And so that's a very hard choice that you have to make because, you know, every single one of those bills is because the person that you loved and shared life with is, 
had to go through something painful and destructive. And so you have to face that. But that was that was a long process of seeking God and seeking what was right and trying to do the right thing for me in my situation. The other side of that, you know, the fun, that's the financial part of it. But the other side of that is Christina hated, she hated the fact that, you know, these bills were coming because of her. That's a hard thing to carry when you know mm-hmm. there's no way that we'd be able to pay even with insurance. I mean, she had insurance and she had Medicare. We still got the, these bills. And, yeah. you know, through all this, the surgeries, the kidney transplants, the, the other surgeries, the heart um, procedures she had, all these things. I mean, every time it happened, she felt more and more weight and responsibility for it. And so that was something I just always tried to tell her, you know, it doesn't matter. These things are secondary to to doing what we got to do for you. I just always try to encourage her, you know. And, and and the good thing about it is, even though we had this massive debt and this these bills coming in, God never let us um, never let us go hungry. He never let us not be able to pay the bills we needed to pay. I mean, there were blessings, so many blessings along the way. And um, yeah. So yeah, it, it was it, that, that's a hard part for anybody that's got to carry. A chronic illness or just any kind of surgery and, and, and getting over it. But my advice to people in that situation is don't turn your back on your bills and let them pile up. Hit them head on. Do what you have to do. Talk to people. There's a lot of things out there that are resources that you can take advantage of. But the worst thing to do is to bury your head in the sand and just let them pile up because then when you get to the point where you're going to take care of them, it's a lot harder. And I wish someone would have told me that at the beginning, you know, look, Matt, when the bill comes in, you know, one thing we learned practically is I started sending every bill that came to us from a hospital. I started sending back immediately and telling them to relook at it because we, we found so many times that we were double billed from hospital charges. Yeah. That we had doctors that were billing us that never saw Christina that we were, we were overcharged for things. We never knew that until I started sending them back in. And a lot of charges were reversed. I mean, the hospitals and doctors make a lot of billing errors. So, wow. you know, head, hit it head on, send them back in, ask them to look at bills. I mean, you, you always want to do that, no matter how many there are, just because it can make a big difference when you have to deal with the final cleanable stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's that's so good, and I I wonder what Dave Ramsey would say. But um, just as as you're talking, I'm sitting here, and it's you know just a much smaller scale of most of my operations and things, or not most. They are all over right now, and I hope for for good. Um, but there's just things that you know I see a holistic doctor once a month. And there's bills for that just because my body seems to be very sensitive and my husband's is not. He seems to have like a great immune system and everything else. And now that I've gotten married, I feel guilty and he's never shamed me for it. But before it was just me spending my own money for my health. And now, you know, I'm sitting here like I got a virus and somehow my whole right leg went out and, you know, it's like I want to go. What would you say from from the other side of like if someone's in that position like I am just helping them see that it wasn't it isn't a burden or that you're willing to do it maybe or yeah well if 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 you truly if you truly love that person if you're truly together walking in a biblical marriage then it's it's not yours or mine it's it's ours 
And that translates to every facet of it. And a man who truly loves his wife will want the very best, no matter the cost. And so there's no reason to carry any guilt or, you know, any, any feelings of, that are negative in those situations, because the very best thing is, is to share in those burdens. Isolation is the biggest thing that kills us, and it kills, us, it kills marriages all of the time. And a lot of the times, it, it begins by the things inside of us that we feel or see or that we put on our spouse. And the more that you can open up and share that burden and be grateful that the other person is there walking through it with you, the closer you become. Because it never becomes an I, me. It always goes back to an us. And yeah. that's truly the only way to make a marriage really, really work. I mean, you can be married, but is that to live in the, the marriage, the covenant that God has created, it has to be us in all things. Yeah, that's so good. Yeah, I know we're going deep and I love it, but I just, I want to talk a little bit just about Christina because I did know her and she was just so incredible. Would you just tell us a few of your favorite things about Christina? Sure. She had a laugh that would make you laugh. It yep. did not matter. It's true. She, she would watch, she loved the show Full House. To me, and, and I don't, I'm not trying to offend anybody that is a fan of Full House. I think it's literally one of the worst written dumbest shows in the history of TV. <laughs> but she would sit there and she would laugh. She thought it was funny. She thought, I think Bob Saget, I, I just, I, I don't get anything he says is funny, but man, she thought he was the funniest person in the world. And I can remember just sitting there, and, you know, she would just laugh. And it, that always made me laugh. She loved cooking shows. She absolutely loved cooking shows. I learned more in the hospitals. That's what we would watch. We would literally turn the Food Network. I gained a lot of weight in the hospital because I was watching uh-huh. cooking shows all of the time. But While eating food hospital she, food. That's got to yeah. be rough. Oh, man. And hospital food, it, it all tastes the same. You take the worst experience you had in elementary school and uh, you <laughs> multiply that by 10. That, you know, and they, God bless them, they tried sometimes. But yeah, it was rough. Um, it, but there was that. And, and one, you know, I also love the fact that even though she was going through what she was going through, even though she was hurting like she was hurting in the hospital, not, not happy with who she was, you know, a lot of these things that she struggled with, she still did what she could to show me that she loved me. She still did the small things that she knew meant a lot to me. And that was always amazing to me because she had a great capacity to love people even when they didn't feel like they should be loved. She just did that well. And people responded to that you know, all throughout our ministry. Um, I'm kind of the push and go and make things happen kind of personality. And she was always the one that was more of the um, sending the cards just to let somebody know she was thinking about them. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, with her friends, always making sure she sent birthday messages. And, you know, I mean, she, she just, she did the little things that made people feel like, okay, I've got some kind of value because this person is reaching out to me. Even when yeah. she was as sick as she was, she still did that. I always loved that about her. I, I, I just never, you know, I wish I had more of that in me. She yeah. was an optimist. She never saw herself as a sick person. Um, one of the things that was really hard for her is, you know, in all of our church work before she became really, really sick, um, we, were, she, we were always one of her reaching out to those that were sick or those that were hurting. Or, um, and she, it, it was really hard for her to be the one that, you know, she, she said that she made the statement. She said, I'm tired of being the one that everybody looks at and says, 
you know, well, at least my life's not like hers. Wow. That's kind of how she saw herself. But even with that, she never stopped reaching out to people. She just cared. And she just knew, she understood the value of telling somebody that she loved them or sending a card to somebody. She, she did that until she couldn't do it anymore. It was, she had an amazing capacity to love. And she, you know, she said that she, she, she made a lot of statements that stuck with me. But one thing, you know, she, one night we were talking late at night and I was in the hospital. I said, you know, are you, are you, does all of this make you mad? I mean, are you mad at God? I asked her that question. And she said something that stuck with me all these years. She said, you know, had I have not walked through everything I've walked through, I would have never understood how much I could love God. She hmm. said the fact that I'm weak or the fact that I'm sick has allowed me to understand my faith. And, and she, you know, the, the verse in my weakness, he has made stronger. Mm -hmm. She said, if I'd never heard like this or gone through this, I would have never understood how much I could love him. Wow. Those were the kind of things that, yeah, I, you know, I, I never saw it that way. And she did. Yeah. I yeah, could well, go on for it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. And I, I do think a lot of people are, are bitter and get sick and say, how could God do this to me? You know, I had... Um, someone I'm very close to in my life flew across the world to see her before she died. And, um, you know, she was a month away from passing away and, and said, but, and we were talking about God and she said, but God let this happen to me. You know, like what, what makes the difference between those two perspectives? God's grace? Or did Christina do something? Was she wired that way? What do you think makes that difference? Part of it is her, her family. She has an amazing family. Her, her mother and dad raised her the right way. She was prepared. I, I can honestly say this. She was prepared when this all came. You know, she, she had an understanding of faith. She had a real faith that was her own, but she was raised the right way uh, and a great legacy uh, uh, in her family. So she had that. You know, I honestly believe after watching everything, I believe that the people that go through a lot of hard things like this, um, illnesses and just different things in life. I think they are, I think God gives them an extra measure of grace if they will receive it to walk through it because they can become a living testimony of how powerful he is and how good he is when someone deals with uh, an, a chronic illness or, or something like this in this way. And so she had that capacity and she tapped into it. And she never asked why me. She never asked, you know, why couldn't I have things i mean of course don't get me wrong you know we always wanted to have kids and we wanted certain things in life and yeah we we struggle with those things we were told by someone very very smart that when we finally realized we weren't going to have kids or that adoption wasn't going to be a good option for us that we needed to grieve like we, we were grieving the loss of a child and, and we did together which helped us move forward so you know i think her ability to not be selfish and not internalize everything but look to God for her strength even in her weak moments she still sought him first and I think that allows her that allowed her but you know she also saw herself as an example I mean if you know she she when she had a kidney transplant we began a, a blog and kind of a, a GoFundMe kind of fundraiser thing called second uh, kidney for Christina 
and she would write blog posts on there and you could see it was so evident in her in her blog posts the things that she would she would write about were always to encourage people that were watching she knew that there were eyes on her and um there's been some amazing stories coming out of that but you know i i think i got to see her in her her down times and her dark moments but still they were still not questions of why or why does God not love me or why am I abandoned? They were always questions of uh, how much can I take or, um, you know, the, the things that, you know, I'm sad, I'm not going to be a, a parent or I'm not going to get to to do this and that in ministry. I mean, it was more of those things. I mean, her, her heart just, she never let her heart get jaded and, and broken. Yeah. Um, she always turned to God in those times. Yeah. I, I remember, so we kind of lost touch after high school a little bit, you know, other than keeping track on Facebook and things. And um, Sheena passing away right after, a few months after I got back from living in South America for a year. And I just remember something God said to me, which was just mind blowing. But I was, you know, I was kind of upset. You go through all those emotions. And I was like, God, like, why did I get my healing and she didn't get hers? And just as clear as day, the Holy Spirit just whispered, you know, Tara, like if she was here, she would say the same thing to you because she got, she got ultimate healing and mine is, is finite um, and, and still deal with things. And so let's talk about that ultimate healing a little bit. And, you know, you said, told me the other day that when she passed away, it was both the best and worst day of your life. What do you mean by that? And how did you come to terms with that? So... Like I said before, she passed away on October 17th of 2017. And it was, you know, of course, the hardest day you could imagine. I, that morning, she she had been in ICU for about two weeks. She was hooked up on a respirator. I hadn't spoken to her, and I think it was um, eight days at this point. She was completely, you know, they, when they put you on a respirator, they put you into a, a medicine-induced coma. It became obvious that she wasn't going to come out of it. And so I sat down with about four different doctors that were treating her in the ICU and asked them what they thought. And each man um, said, if it was my wife or my daughter, that, that that would be it. So that morning at about nine o'clock, we came out of that meeting and I said, okay, well, they, they said, you know, if you're going to make that decision, you need to call family. So we did. We called everybody around. Uh, everybody to come, you know, my family and her family. And then later that afternoon, about, I think it was about 3.30, we finally made the decision, you know, with all of us standing around her, her bed, I asked the nurse to go ahead and, and turn off and disconnect the respirator. And, you know, they told us, look, don't be surprised if, if she um, struggles or, or gags, you know, that's a, that's a normal reaction once the respirator's turned off. And the thing was, the moment they turned it off, um, her vitals, you know, dropped. So there was a little bit of peace in that moment because I, you know, I, you didn't want to see her suffer even more. And, and to know that she was probably already gone, she was probably in the hands of Jesus at that time. But immediately following that, I felt an emotion that I, I didn't expect. And, and I struggled for, I don't know, six or seven months with this feeling it was like almost a feeling of of relief and mixed with the most incredible pain you can ever imagine and i had no idea why i felt you know why i felt that way i got I, and i and i had a tremendous amount of guilt um in that but as i prayed and focused and thought through it god kind of gave me revelation on it 
and it changed a lot of the way I viewed it. What had happened was I had seen her suffer, brutally suffer for so long. Mm -hmm. And I had watched her go through things. And, and I had in my mind asked God, how much more can she take of this? And, and every day hurt more and more and more. And the feeling I was feeling in that moment was the fact that she wasn't suffering at all anymore. The moment the respirator turned off, I know for sure at that point, I, I, like I said, she was probably already there, but I know for sure at that point, her spirit was gone. She was in the arms of her savior. She was right where she wanted to be. Mm. There was no more pain. There was no more tears. She was in the place that she was promised. And I was so thankful for that, that, that she wasn't suffering anymore. The pain didn't go away. Of course, I still hurt like anything, but you know, my wife that 19 years before that, we stood up on stage and I said, I'm going to promise to love you through everything, no matter what, till the end. She had finally reached the finish line of, of her spirit or earthly journey. And she wasn't going to have to deal with any more of the stuff that that's left around. Yeah. I was so relieved by that, to know that, to have that middle picture. And the moment that God kind of gave me that, which I guess I'm, I'm, I'm kind of slow. Um, I should have realized that early on. It should have been something that was so clear. But man, when I had that vision of that with her sitting at the arms, you know, sitting inside of her savior, it just changed. And I didn't deal with that guilt anymore. You know, I, I was, it was like, I just realized and said, thank you, Lord, for the first time. Thank you, God. And all of the memories up until that point, I had nightmares of stuff. I had memories that were bad memories of things that I had done as a husband that were not done as a husband, yeah. ways that I hadn't taken care. I had all these, these emotions, but it was like in that moment, God said, look, son, it's okay. I've got her. She's in, she's in a better place than you can ever imagine. And it allowed just this freedom to wash over me that I hadn't experienced. And so I look back on that now as the best day and, and the worst day um, still, but I know she's in the place that I want to be, you know, yeah. I, I know she's celebrating and looking at life and, and, and just in, a, in an amazing place that we can't even begin to, to put our finger on. She's there. So yeah. I'm, I'm just thankful for that. Yeah. And I know, thank you for sharing that and thank you for your vulnerability, first of all, but I've never experienced anything close to losing a spouse, much less one that you've been married to for 20 years. And it's, you know, been a few years, but obviously this is something, you know, that you're still going through and there will always still be things. Do you think that you ever, quote, get over losing a spouse? Is that just something you learn to deal with? Or is it something that God brought peace to you when you gave that part to him? What would you say? Yeah, so that that's a, it's a great question. I, and, and I think that's, I think that is a probably specific to every single person that walks through it. My, you know, my grandmother, my grandfather passed away when I was in the sixth grade and my grandmother still misses him to this day. She's 96 years old. She still misses him. Like she, like he was, you know, just passed away last week. Other people, you know, you watch their stories and they're remarried in a month, you know, after a spouse passes. I think it's, it's very personal, individual. For me, yeah, there are, there are still things that, uh, I miss or I find myself thinking about or, you know, or days where I, I wake up and it, I, I think she's still there. I mean, I don't, I, I don't think after you've been married for that long that those things can just go away. But I think what God does is he takes those broken pieces that are in your heart. And I think he, 
he puts, you know, he seals them back together and fixes them. There, there's like the story of these Inca Indians that back in the, uh, you know, before the, the Spanish uh, conquered Peru, these Indians would make these pots and they would spend, they would spend literally months on there. Every family did them. And when they would get them all uh, built up and then hardened, they would take them and break them. And the family unit got back together and they would take these, these little ribbons of gold, melted gold, and they would put the pieces back together using this gold. And when they put the pots back together, all of the cracks that were broken became what made the pottery so strong and valuable. And I think God does that in our hearts when we lose somebody, if we allow him to. Those parts in our hearts that are broken and separated, God's grace comes in when we give that to him and he fills those cracks up and those become a part of you to become a good, strong part of you. The loss of a spouse can become something that gives you vision, gives you a perspective and helps you help other people. I mean, I think God has done that. You know, the Bible says that he will replant what the locusts have eaten. And I think it's, if we're able to turn those very broken pieces over to him, he does build them back up and makes them a stronger part of us. So that gives me the ability then to go forward and to live my life and to do what he's called me to do. Um, It's very easy. A lot of people do. It's very easy to stay in our brokenness when, when, when we were there, it's very easy to stay in that. And the enemy has a, has a, a ball with that. That's what he wants. But if we can turn that over to God and allow him to fix the brokenness, then we're able then to turn around and face every day. It's a process. Yeah. It doesn't it's not easy. You know, it's it, the the first day is is the hardest, and then every day after that's still hard. And but through His grace and through people that He puts around us, we're able then to get up, get back on our feet, and begin the process of healing. And that goes for any kind of injury yeah. or, or spiritual condition. Well, you know what's crazy is um, I didn't know that came from the Incas. So I know the Japanese do it, and I actually am, I don't know if I should give this away, but I am writing a sermon about it for a future heal retreat and and all these things. And I'm making centerpieces for the table with that art. And I bought bought a a kit and everything. And and what was fascinating is I bought all these things at Goodwill to break and then put them back together with gold. gold. It's not not real gold and silver, Um, but fake stuff. And uh, we put them in bags and I had a friend and we smashed them with a hammer. And I got so frustrated because I just kept, I was like, that one didn't break the way I wanted it to break. Like, you know, and, and she was like, I think that's another point in your sermon. Yeah, that's true. Right? Like, but we're just like, <laughs> we don't break the way we want to, but no. he can put back together anything. Yeah, that's so good. Yeah, yeah. So I felt like earlier I was meant to ask you this. It's a total hardball, but I'm going to pitch it to you anyway, which is when you're talking about Christina and just this piece that you found because she's in the arms of Jesus. What if someone's listening who's like, I actually don't know if the person who passed away knew the Lord. Like, how am I supposed to have peace? Then the only way you have peace at that point is you make sure you're right. And you make sure you live your life in a way that you you take that, hopefully through God's strength and power, you can help take that burden off of somebody else down the road you know we can't know ultimately what is what someone's spiritual condition ultimately is that's between them and, and god um i've got friends i have a good friend i do addiction counseling and um one of the guys that 
I counseled, he ended up overdosing and I had shared Christ with this guy so many times. I had done everything I could. I, I believe, I, I, still, I don't know this day whether he actually ever made Jesus the Lord of his life, but I do know that coming out of that, my motivation was to work with every single one of these guys to do everything I could in my power to see that they came to know the Lord. That's all we can do at this point. If we spend our time wondering why, uh, or wondering if, we're gonna get lost in that. And we ultimately can't know that anyway. Yeah. So our, our best course of action at that point is to live our life and to help someone else to do our part you know, in the process so that they don't have to face that same burden. Yeah, that's good. It just goes back to that control, right? We can't, there's so little we can actually control and yet we think we can control almost everything. But yeah. um, I want to go back just a little bit because I know that y'all were in the ministry through Christina's whole time. There's just something on my heart of I'm, I'm trying to create ministries that a podcast, you know, that balances um, all, all sorts of healing and create these retreats and different things for people to come because I don't see that very often in the church. I feel like in most places it's a whole that we don't address because, you know, maybe it's hard to relate if you haven't been through it, or maybe sometimes the people who are in pain don't want to start a ministry for people in pain because they just don't have the energy, right? Um, so going through being in churches and all this, what would advice would you give to churches for how they could serve maybe a couple or an individual going through something like you and Christina went through? Yeah. I mean, that's a great question. I would, I would say a couple of things. I think the first thing is to, to do what you can to help that couple not feel isolated. Little, we talked about it a little bit earlier, but when you're going through some kind of brokenness, whether it's, it's a physical pain or an emotional pain or an addiction, we have a tendency then to, to isolate them whether we try to or not, you know, we, we want to have one-on-one -on -one counseling, which is great. We want to have, we want to help them look at themselves, which we want to do. But I think there is value in ministries that come alongside of people and say, look, you're not the only one. You're, whatever you're struggling yeah. with, there is absolutely people. And then putting together um, retreats and things like that, that we can bring a lot of people together that, that are open. Even a hard, a very hard thing to do in this is, is sexual addiction because that is such a brokenness that people want to isolate anyway but when you bring people together to say hey you know we're all dealing with the same thing um you you find strength in that and i think the church is equipped to do that we have churches we have some um recovery ministries and things like that but i think making sure that we're intentional about putting those kind of ministries in place helps people be able to deal and to be more honest and more open because honesty is really the only way that we're gonna we're gonna get through how we feel about our brokenness whether it's physical emotional how, whatever it is i think bringing in people that have um, an understanding of what it is like to deal with a chronic illness or an injury that won't go away or an addiction and bringing those people in and giving them more access to our our people our churches i think that's a great thing too there's a lot of people that have gone through like what you've gone through where you know you you didn't ask for it and you were living your life doing what you were doing and then all of a sudden you have this catastrophic thing that nobody can diagnose and it completely derails your life there's a lot of questions that come with that but bringing in somebody that has experience with that helps you to say hey okay i can find an answer because that's really where we we you know it's a good and bad thing but when you come to the point where 
you realize you have no answers. Only God has answers. You're able to get help. Yeah. It's also a very, it's a hard place to be as well. So I think those two things could help in that. Yeah. What, what about people who are so sick that they're either in the hospital or at home? I mean, we're changing so much with, with the crisis to going virtual, but you know, how did you and Christina stay spiritually filled up? I mean, did you watch services online just being in the word, what would you say to someone who's, you know, not able to get up off the couch right now? How can I be filled? I can't go to a group. I can't go to a retreat. Yeah. Well, there's, there's more available now than there's ever been. We, we watched, uh, you know, we watched some YouTube stuff. We watched some stuff on TBN, which I'm not saying there's anything wrong with TBN, but you know, there were, there was things where that, that we found value in. You know, we, one thing we did almost every single day for as long as we could do it is we prayed together and, and we recited our vows that we made on our, our wedding day together. Wow. Every day? For a long time. The sicker she got, you know, early on, she, she took our vows and she made this thing and you probably saw it in our house. It was like a little poster and it had it on there in our wedding day. And so we had that hanging up over us. But when we began, you know, to, when, when our our normal marriage kind of changed because of her illness. We first probably for like the last seven or eight years. I mean, maybe it seems like, like every day in my mind, I don't know, but it was, it was a whole lot. We would recite our vows before, after we prayed together. And we did that just because we wanted to remind ourselves of our, our first love. You know, even again, your marriage changes and you, and you need to be prepared for that. If you're going through a chronic illness or something like that, you don't have a conventional marriage anymore, but you can still have a marriage that's full of love, support, and tenderness, and caring, and all of those things that make a marriage. You can still have that every day if if you still see each other as that person. And the best way to do that is to go back to the very moment and recite your vows, because that's the promises that we made the day we stood up in front of everybody that we said we're going to fulfill. And if we keep those in front of us, then those promises don't get pushed down. They just get elevated. And in the hard times, that's what, that's really where you go back to is your relationship with God and your relationship with each other. Yeah. And so, you know, we, we focused on that. Uh, we read books together, uh, a lot of great authors out there. We watched services and preachers on YouTube. We try to do as much of that as we could. Yeah. I mean, that'll preach. I think I'm just sitting here, you know, there might be a lot of people right now who need to just say their vows every day because things have gotten so ugly being confined in the past couple months, you know, or renewing their vows or, or whatever. I don't even think that's confined to chronic illness. I mean, that's <laughs> all of us could, could do with a good dose of, of that reminder. So we, I know we're coming up on the end, but big question, but what, could you summarize, like, what do you think the biggest thing is that Christina struggle taught you or, what her legacy is. I know that's so hard to condense, but. It, it is, but let me give you an illustration or, or something that's happened coming out of it that I think illustrates that point. Christina had a friend that started keeping up with her, her blog and reading through stuff on her blog. And this friend, it was in Austin, and he had a friend, he has a friend that is in Scotland. And so through their mutual friendship and conversation, this guy in Scotland began watching, uh, uh, reading her, her blog and staying up with what was going on with Christina through his friend in Austin. So about a month after Christina passed, I got an email 
from this guy in Scotland that said, just want you to know that uh, I've been watching your wife's life over the last three, four years and her testimony of what she's going through and how she hand, has handled it has strengthened my life. And I've gotten people in my church here in Scotland to follow along as well. So the fact that her life being lived, um, not perfectly, you know, by any stretch, because none of us are, but being lived in, in full view and just being about how much she loves God and she loves people, God used that to strengthen a man's faith and then to turn, in turn help people that were in his church thousands of miles away. And I think to this day, there's still ripples being felt by a life that's lived truly well. And I, I think yeah. I can say that about her. There, there's so many things that, that people even today tell me, uh, you know, about her and about her impact in their lives. So although she had, you know, 39 years on this earth, those were 39 years filled with love for people and effective ministry that people that are in ministry for 78 years don't have that effect. God was able, because of who she was as a person, open and, and out there to take her life and to make that still to this day um, something that he's using for his glory. And that's an awesome. Yeah. I, yeah, it's the only thing that lasts, right, is what you leave with others on this earth. And I know she has done that in a lot of things. And I'm, I guess I'm proud of myself because I'm pulling out my eight stuff of not wanting to be a blubbering mess on a podcast, but I actually haven't cried. I thought I was going to. I have a little, little bit teared up while you were talking, but I, it's okay. Just because of the person Christine is and, and we do love her and we do miss her. Um, but is there, is there anything that you would like to talk about that I haven't asked or, or something you'd like to say that we missed? You know, I just want to encourage anybody that's listening you know, it, it does not matter how hard things are that you may be going through. It doesn't matter how disappointed you are with things in your life. It doesn't matter that, that maybe uh, you don't feel like God has given you what you, you deserve. What I would like to encourage you is to focus on who he is above all else. Focus on what he is. Because when we have those feelings, we limit what God can do through us. And really, truly, honestly, healing comes from a place of allowing God to take the brokenness, whether it's physical, spiritual, whatever it is, and then use it for his glory. And, and when, we, when we put ourselves above that, we'll never experience true healing. And, and true healing just comes from allowing God to fill in the broken cracks. So if you're struggling today, if you're, if you're trying to figure out why, if you're trying to make sense of life, Start with him first before self-help books or Dr. Phil or other things that are out there and, and, and be sensitive to how God is, is truly moving. We, we miss that a lot of times. I saw that. I always felt like ministry was being active and busy and building, but I learned that ministry is what happens on an individual personal level. And, and you never know, God may want to use your brokenness in a way that you haven't even began to understand. It's not an easy process. Healing hurts and it takes time and there are scars all of the time, but there's also victory that comes from a life that is, is uh, open and in, 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 um, uh, in allowing God to use and to build and to, to put it back together what the enemy wants to break. So there's victory and it's there. 
and um, just pray that that you find it. Amen. That's so good, Matt. And I I knew you would be incredible and encourage so many people. And and thank you so much. I just you know we talked a lot about Christina's legacy, but just as you're talking just now, I was like you know just like you said. I think it was finances, like it's always us. Like your story is is both of you and it's not just her legacy, it's also your legacy of, of, of you, both of your story. And so thank you for sharing. Thank you for investing in the kingdom. And I'm, I'm just praying that this helps so many people see God just a little bit clearer. I hope so too. Thank you, Tara. I hope you enjoyed two incredibly impactful people in my life who really helped shape my faith when I was younger and who also just continue to inspire me. Um, Christina, even though she is with the Lord, continues to inspire me. And Matt, how he continues to serve the Lord this side of heaven is just so, so incredible and powerful. So. I hope you enjoyed that, and if you did, please head over to iTunes and leave us a review. Just click the number of stars you'd like to give us, and then write something, what this show has done, how it's helped you. That not only encourages me to keep recording these and that it's worth it, but it also really helps people find this podcast. So thank you for being here, and we will see you again next Monday.